The San Francisco Dance Film Festival presents Dancing Through the Lens, a bi-monthly podcast featuring guests from our dance and filmmaking communities who share their interests, insights, and methods of creation and connection. I'm Claire Schweitzer. Sean Dorsey is recognized as one of the country's first acclaimed transgender modern dance choreographers and is the first transgender artist to appear on the cover of Dance Magazine. Sean not only presents his own work through Sean Dorsey Dance, but is also the artistic director of Fresh Meat Productions, which invests in the creative expression and cultural leadership of transgender and gender nonconforming communities. He was most recently featured in an episode of KQED's If Cities Could Dance which not only profiled his career, but also presented filmic reinterpretations of his stage work. We discuss how choreographic material changes when brought from stage to film back to stage, as well as his dreams for the future of trans artists in dance and dance film. Sean Dorsey, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Let's actually start with uh, one of your more recent projects, and that is the latest in the KQED series, If Cities Could Dance. Now, this is um, very typical of the series in that we do have a documentary element, but we also have uh, filmic uh, reimaginings or reworkings of some of the work that you have done previously. Can you actually explain how this came into being? been quite a ride and quite a dream come true. I had already loved and followed the series. I've been so inspired by the artists portrayed in the If Cities Could Dance series, but also just was really in love with the vision and the format of the series. You know, getting to um, almost inhabit, you know, the bodies of these different dancers and dance companies as a lens into getting to know these cities and communities that they work in and, and that their work is informed by. So I was already a fan, I guess, is the <laughs> the short version of that. Uh, a publicist I have been working with reached out to them and they said, oh gosh, we've already had like two or three other people highly recommend you um, and you're already on our list to approach. So we already (laughs) were going to approach you, which was amazing. So thrilled to have gotten to be a part of that series. Absolutely. And it's beautifully shot. And I just, again, shout out to Lindsay Gautier. Lindsay is amazing. And yes, it was um, such a, again, a a dream come true Um, early on in the series. We started the process um, working with Alex Irwin, who is amazing also. Um, And then he left the project um, to begin an amazing new job position. Um, And so we were kind of in the position of, well, Sean Dorsey, who would your dream director be for this project? To which there was only one answer, which is Lindsay. And she said, yes, she was interested in the project. That's just been exquisitely wonderful to get to work with someone who has been a friend and artistic collaborator for years, to have someone who I admire and respect so much as a film artist, who then also has followed and known my company's work for gosh, I mean, well over a decade. So who so deeply knows my work, the trajectory of my work, um, the evolution of projects, knows 
on a very deep level how I work in community and with my company. Um, so to have her bring that deep knowledge of my artistic and political DNA to this project just, I think, made all the difference. We've gotten such incredible feedback about the episode and the kind of depth of it and the visual beauty of it. And um, that's so much thanks to Lindsay's vision and, again, this deep, deep trust, I think, that runs both ways and, and love also. Now, in the episode, in terms of the filmic elements themselves, we see excerpts from uh, work that, I mean, not only work you've presented previously, but work that you are going to be presenting in full later on. So we see excerpts from Boys in Trouble and The Lost Art of Dreaming, which were really conceived of in a stage environment. Now, were there any discoveries that you made when translating these works to film? Um, I would say, yes, new discoveries, I mean, some of which happen through happy accidents or, you know, divine intervention or, or who knows what. Um, I feel like there were things that happened when we um, would be in a location filming and for filmic reasons would change the placement of dancers might totally reverse, you know, where dancers are, are placed in the space or even reverse the order of some of the choreography based on what would work with very particular physical or like geographic elements. Oh, we have to work with these huge concrete pillars or we have to figure out how to make sight lines work with this particular movement. You know, we all felt really excited and open to that flexibility. And then it was really interesting bringing that back into the inside dance studio kind of that curiosity and flexibility of, oh, what would it mean to play with some of those interesting inverse choices that we ended up doing out in the field, so to speak, bringing those into the studio. So there's been a, a cool kind of ripple effect how some of that play and happy accidents outside filming, you know, then what that translated into in the studio inside. So that was, you know, versus being so married to like, this is the way it happens on the concert stage and it must be preserved this way in nature or, you know, in the city, just being really open to how will this movement work in this natural setting or in this very urban setting and what, how can we also adapt and um, interact with this new setting that we're in? Yeah, and I'm very curious in that one of the excerpts that you are using is very much a piece that's still in process and still in development. And what are some of the ways that taking it onto film and then bringing it back into the studio, what are some of the ways that working it to film has informed how the live work is going to continue to develop? One of the things that comes to mind for me is the way, you know, that kind of beautiful 360 intimacy that dance on film or dance for camera can bring. So moments that have been originally drafted, or, you know, it's going to end up on a concert stage, so it's going to kind of be seen only, you know, from the front, from this one angle. Um, but then bringing that into this KQED project with Lindsay and the whole team, and having that movement filmed kind of 360, right? The camera is moving around us or we're moving as we're doing the movement and then bringing that back into the studio, sometimes re-examining, you know, is this the only facing I want the audience to see this movement in a concert dance setting? Do I want to reconsider that? You know, how shocked we are when we do it in this other filmic setting and we actually discover that this, you know, seeing it from the back or from three quarters is vastly more interesting. 
but also bringing kind of a heightened awareness, even when we are going to be back in the con the concert on stage setting, not dancing the round, you know, the audience is just, you know, in a fixed position, bringing a heightened 360 degree awareness to even that concert dance setting. So what are the ways that our kind of spidey senses and electric energetic energy can still be inhabiting the space in that 360 way that's been informed by film? So even if choreographically or facing wise things don't end up changing in the final choreography there's an awareness as performers that I think that 360 immersion in a film gives you it's a real gift do you ever anticipate continuing to develop these pieces for film yes I think you know even before this KQED episode has been such a gift for another reason, the list grows longer, is that I have been dreaming, and again, Lindsay and I have talked for years wanting to collaborate on film together. Um, and so this project especially, we had thought about that. And then now having done some work on film with The Lost Art of Dreaming, first of all, there is so much exquisite footage that was filmed. Gorgeous, gorgeous footage. And of course, as you know, 98% of footage ends up on the cutting room floor, not because it's not gorgeous, just because, you know, KQED couldn't make a 500-minute episode. <laughs> so, you know, right away we were all buzzing about, oh my gosh, there's so much gorgeous dance film footage. Might there even be a film that gets to happen with what we've already you know, captured and created. And then there are parts of the new show we've been developing that actually there are sections we, we didn't bring at all or, or didn't film for the episode that I think would be really um, extraordinary on film. So it is indeed my hope and dream not manifested in any form yet, but I do have a dream um, of developing and capturing more of this project for film, both for aesthetic reasons that I think it, um, some part of it really could have a home and live and belong there in that 360 immersive dance film, you know, magical altered reality state that is, you know, dance, dance on film. Um, and also just there are so many geographical and political and community reasons that as a transgender and queer artist, the whole world of dance film and dance for camera and dance films is still profoundly mostly cisgender folks making films by, with, and of other cisgender folks. Some of my best friends are cisgender. <laughs> no judgment against the cisgender people. <laughs> but, um, but how beautiful to bring in more trans and queer embodiment and movement and voices into dance film. So, um, and for Sean Dorsey Dance's work and The Lost Art of Dreaming to get to reach a much broader geographical impact, you know, through... Um, whether it's online or through film festivals. So um, um, that can just, you know, explode exponentially when when dance gets to happen on film and gets seen and experienced by so many. I actually want to shift to your work with uh, the Fresh Meat Festival as well as Fresh Meat Productions because the work that you put into not only, you know, blazing that trail but also creating a platform for more artists to um, to show their work and show their potential is, I mean, incredibly invaluable. We've seen a lot of organizations go back to in-person showings and go back to in-person uh, presentations, but the, this year's iteration of Fresh Meat Festival, in a way, almost doubled down on, on the filmic element and almost doubled down on the digital element. And can you speak to that decision to keep the event as an online event this year? So for anyone tuning in who doesn't know, um, Fresh Meat Productions is a nonprofit organization based here in San Francisco. 
um, which I founded. Um, we're in our 22nd season, oh believe gosh. it or not. And there's an amazing, small but mighty team of amazing humans who um, keep the fresh meat magic going. So just a few weeks ago was our 21st annual Fresh Meat Festival of Trans and Queer Performance, which prior to the pandemic um, was an annual event at Z-Space, sold out, packed to the rafters, you know, an amazing lineup every night of all kinds of amazing artists in dance, theater, music, more. And then of course the pandemic hit, um, and so we were online in 2020, we were online in 2021, and then, you know, over a year ago, hoping and hoping that we'd be able to return to in-person this summer, and we've all experienced so much driven by capitalism is my personal feeling, you know, return to in-person events. And, mm -hmm. you know, so many of us are craving connection, craving community, craving in-person events. And so that piece I totally understand. So really, you know, it came down to going, even though capitalism pretends that the pandemic is over or waning, it's not. It's here just as strongly. And, you know, our bottom line is until it's safe for all of us to be together in person, it's not really safe for any of us to be together in person. So thinking about folks who are most vulnerable to COVID, who have the most risk and health impact, also knowing that so many trans, especially folks, don't have access to healthcare or trans competent healthcare, um, and that so much, so many folks in our community are vulnerable for whatever reason, immune compromised, just a lot of factors that make us especially vulnerable. So thus, offering all of our programs and events for free, because our communities are also experiencing financial distress still because of the pandemic, um, and that there was there was just no way to have forty artists, you know, sharing the same airspace on stage without um, presenting tremendous risk again and that's a risk that is heightened for folks you know it's racialized white supremacy transphobia ableism all these things tell us you know to open up and get back to work and then the folks who are most impacted are folks who are ill sick immune compromised etc don't have access to healthcare. so for us it's a decision made out of love and it's a very politicized decision to want to provide the greatest access in the safest way possible we expanded the festival to two weeks. We paid and presented over 40 artists. We even increased artist fees again this year. And of course, closed caption, you know, all of our online content for anything we do. The first live event of, or sorry, in-person event of any kind that Fresh Meat had done since the pandemic was this April. Um, we had our home season in person. We um, handed each audience member a KN95 mask at the door with love. So the audience, you know, were all safely masked to take care of each other. And we have had some in-person classes and workshops, but otherwise we're still having our programming primarily online and it's kind of just navigating month by month. We do dream next year of somehow having an in-person event, but always... Um, Safety and access is the first priority. Safety, access, and love is the first priority. That's that's awesome. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, I also just want to circle back to something that you said earlier, as far as representation, not only in front of the camera, in front of the audience, but also behind the camera as well. Having you know, trans and non-binary filmmakers, or having people behind the camera who are making those decisions are very few and far between. Do you, do you envision, ever envision creating a space for that? And what would need to happen in order for um, more creators to feel welcome in these spaces? Two questions. One is like in a parallel universe where we had 
the capacity, our, our tiny team had the capacity. I can totally imagine, you know, loving the idea of launching some kind of a platform and fund for makers and filmmakers and dance makers to get to whether explore for the first time or continue to make some kind of dance for film work. And that's kind of, again, in the parallel universe where we can replicate ourselves and <laughs> <laughs> increase our capacity because we're, we're like always so maxed out with what we do. And then we were like, how did we increase the number of programs we do during the pandemic <laughs> of all times? <laughs> You know, maybe there's a maybe there's a way I'll put out to the to the universe that perhaps there's a way conversations could happen and we'd love to be part of that um, in terms of a longer term plan to fundraise and create um, a fund that would award creation or commissioning grants to non-binary, trans, indigenous, two-spirit, gender non-conforming artists to um, create dance film that was reflective of their unique embodiment and voices would be amazing um and i would certainly you know if anybody tuning in is interested i'd be so down with sharing information knowledge contacts recommendations i would go to bat and advocate with funders um because that's you know part of the bottom line is that even though you can make these things for pretty cheap these days on your phone there's still like there are still expenses not everyone like has a lighting kit or can edit themselves or, you know, or some folks may want to be able to take a training course in Premiere or, you know, or whatnot. So um, I am very blessed to have a stunningly brilliant partner in love and life of 20 years, Shauna Virago, who is an amazing trans musician, singer, songwriter, and she's also the longtime artistic director of the San Francisco Transgender Film Festival. And they have programmed in um, movement-based and dance-based films in the past. So that's been a, a home for um, some of the few films which are totally being made and are amazing out there. Um, so that's another... And actually their um, call for submissions is currently out, SFTFF dot org might be open till sometime in august but um always a place to check out so yeah we'll yeah strongly encourage people to submit and uh just make sure that that work continues to be made and continues to be seen as well and there you know there are so many ways folks who are um involved or adjacent to the world of dance film in any way there are always opportunities to um expand your heart and art and circle to include folks who identify as trans or non-binary. So whether it's a crew or interns or dancers you're bringing in for the film, um, you know, a lighting person, there, there are always ways um, that trans and non-binary folks can be welcomed into artistry, leadership, participation, learning, uh, mentorship, etc. So always encouraging folks that... Um, that's a great way is just to like invite people onto your team and as collaborators and yeah, go from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sean Dorsey, thank you so much for bringing your time and your insight. And I, I can't wait to see uh, the lost art of dreaming in full. Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do through this series um, to amplify artists' voices and creativity and community. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dancing Through the Lens. If you enjoy the show, 
please rate and review it on your preferred podcasting platform, and make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. We would also love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show. You can send them to the contact form linked in the show notes. Dancing Through the Lens is a production of the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. It is produced and hosted by Chris Willette and Claire Schweitzer. Theme music for Dancing Through the Lens was composed by Daria Novo. You can find the San Francisco Dance Film Festival online at sfdancefilmfest.org and in the social media pages linked in the show notes.